We'll go back to New World next week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. I'm James Evan Pilato for MediaMonarchy.com. This is not philanthropy. This is investment. We've got a game of what if plus the China challenge. But first, secretive club for ultra wealthy environmentalists revealed this from our friends at ActivistPost.com. Ultra wealthy investors looking to direct vast sums of money into green investments to atone for their climate sins have been joining in a secretive nonprofit dedicated to speeding up the flow of capital into investments that can slow global warming. This all according to Bloomberg. The club, Creo Syndicate, C-R-E-O, I'll tell you what that stands for at the end. Creo Syndicate works with around 200 families who pay a very reasonable flat fee to join and must commit to making their first investment in climate and sustainability within six months, according to founder and director Regine Clement. According to the report, quote, part of building trust with wealthy families is keeping their secrets. In addition to Grantham and Simons, the group's ranks include other well-known billionaires whose names Creo won't disclose. A mantra is no tourists allowed. This is not philanthropy. This is investment. We grow entirely through introductions. We never seek out a family, end quote, said Clement. Creo currently has over $800 billion under management, acting essentially as a mini investment bank, the nonprofit Vets approximately 300 deals a year, connecting member investors with potential partners while researching technologies for future investments. Those interested, those watching the show interested in joining Creo, you got to have assets of at least $100 million and pass a board approval process. The investments aren't mainstream. However, according to Spring Lane Capital Managing Director Christian Zabal, co-chair of Creo's board, it's fine because these families are comfortable being pioneers. What Creo is doing today is essentially a preview of what institutional capital will do very shortly. Creo members make a wide variety of bets that might make a difference and make money. Yeah, they might make a difference, but you can bet your butt they're going to make money. Creo was formed in 2016 after two climate-focused investor networks merged, and some of Creo's investments have paid off big, really awesome things like Beyond Meat and Tesla. The Secret Club for Billionaires Who Care About Climate Change. We will give you the archive.is link so we don't drive any traffic to, of course, the powers that shouldn't be. Creo Syndicate. Clean, renewable, and environmental opportunities. That's what Creo stands for. And James, if we go back 12 years ago to a story we weren't even doing New World Next Week yet. Elite's secret meeting discussed depopulation. ABC News reports on the secret meeting of the rich, yet ignores the Bilderberg group completely. So just as it was over a decade ago, here we still are. Fake news telling you conspiracies don't exist while reporting on conspiracies and telling you that it's good for you. I guess like fluoride or something, James. Yeah, that's a that's a, such a good point. Um, in, in fact, in a way, I'll hand it to them. For example, in this uh, Bloomberg article, which people will go to the archived version, not the Bloomberg version, but uh, it's it has a quote. There's not a lot of hidden agendas. One of their spokesmen says, "There's not a lot of hidden agendas." And you know what? I agree with them. This isn't a closed secret conspiracy. This is an open conspiracy. They're advertising it. They don't mind. Uh, And people sometimes have some dissonance around that idea of open conspiracy. People should look up into that idea. The H.G. Wells literally wrote about the open conspiracy and how we need this open conspiracy that's out in the open that everyone knows about, but we will conspire to change the world in the way we want. Well, here it is. Although I have to 
admit, when I hear about these types of investment schemes that involve all these billionaire families, and it's, uh, you know, we only take uh, submissions from voluntarily people coming to us kind of thing, you have to wonder what kind of Epstein-like shenanigans are going on to convince some of these uh, billionaires to invest their money in with this or that group. But uh, that to the side, th- there is another important point embedded in this article, um, which, again, they state out quite openly, this is not philanthropy. This is investment. Absolutely right. Yes, this is investment. This is, th- don't delude yourselves that these are lo- lovers of the earth who are doing their best to do, to do right by the environment. No, these are billionaires who want to increase their billions. Th- that, that is all this is. It's a business transaction. And because of the way the economy is being structured, they know what side their bread is being buttered on. And if you don't know about that yet, well, well, I have some news for you. It's not exactly, again, this isn't hidden stuff. Uh, for example, I was writing about this four years ago, and now for the $100 trillion bankster climate swindle, where I wrote that the, the heart of the issue is that the future of the $90 trillion of energy and infrastructure investments and the $1 trillion green bond market and the multi-trillion dollar carbon trading market and the $391 billion and growing climate finance industry hangs in the balance. It's why Enron and Goldman Sachs pioneered the emissions trading swindles that, surprise, surprise, are a complete and total fraud from top to bottom and do nothing for the environment. It's why General Electric, DuPont, Johnson & Johnson, Pepsi, Siemens, AIG, and a host of other Fortune 500 CFR companies joined BP, ConocoPhillips, GM, and a host of other oligarch companies as founding members of the U.S. Climate Action Partnership, whose blueprint for legislative action became the backbone of the Wall Street-backed waxman Marquee Bill of 2009. It's why the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds are at the forefront of the climate hysteria. It's why over 400 global institutional investors worth over $25 trillion have decided to cash in on their bonanza with the Investment Platform for Climate Actions, etc., etc. Please go to that article. All of that linked up. Yes, this is a multi-trillion dollar market that billionaires want to get in on, and people are unfortunately going to say, oh, they just want to help the earth. That's why they're doing all of this. Um, for, for a deeper analysis of what this is and why it's happening, of course, I will direct people back to how and why big oil conquered the world, specifically as one case in point, my examination of Gore, Al Gore, and his oligarch millions, billions at this point. Uh, if people don't know about the Gore story, I mean, it's it's important, not just because Gore is just sort of this this icon or figure uh, in the global warming movement, but but really because if you actually look into his history and where his money comes from, uh, his bread is buttered on this green finance swindle that is taking place right now that demonstrably, like the emissions trading schemes and other things that have been set up, do nothing. In fact, have opposite effects on the environment. They, they're actually detrimental to the environment. But who cares? Detail schmetails. It sounds good and it'll make us billions. So the the masses will go along with it. Uh, so I'm just inviting people to actually look at the players that are pushing these ideas and their agendas and what they are really interested in, and at least reserve some skepticism when you hear about these wonderful greenwashing billionaires who are going to make the world so much better. Well, and I'm still waiting around for Greta to how dare you to, you know, places like China, you know, big polluters and such. But James, you're exactly right. Same thing with old Kill Bill Pizza Gates. Man, this in this vaccine stuff is a great investment. Oh, people think I'm good? Oh, I don't really care about that. So speaking of the your body, their choice gang, 
An update from our last week's cover story. Looks like the D.C. bill to give vaccine consent to 11-year-olds surprisingly has passed. They've had the final reading, added an amendment to protect the insurance companies, and voted two to three in favor. Minor Consent for Vaccinations Amendment Act of 2019. So that's what's going on in the District of Criminals. And on this episode 429 of New World Next Week, we don't actually have a This Week in Tyranny segment. We will have maybe some good news towards the end of this episode, which will have to suffice for our Thanksgiving episode, James. But our second segment here, really interesting one from antiwar.com. And again, everything we say for 11 plus years is always cited in your show notes. State Department to release Cold War style papers on China's rise. The State Department's Office of Policy Planning, you down with OPP, expected to release a document that outlines Washington's strategy to face a rising China. The papers are inspired by a 1947 essay in Foreign Affairs, the Council on Foreign Relations magazine that you'll see in airports because that's where smart people are, you know, getting their news on the go. 1947 essay in Foreign Affairs by George Kennan that introduced the containment policy the U.S. followed to confront the Soviet Union. Axios, again with the scoop, obtained a copy of the document titled The Elements of the China Challenge. The paper is over 70 pages long, identifies most favored nation as a threat to the world due to its ideology, its government believes in, channeling Cold War rhetoric. So the document, because everybody likes lists, outlines 10 tasks the U.S. must do to face China. Number one, promoting constitutional government and civil society at home. Try and, you know, <laughs> try and not laugh at the utter hilarious bald face hypocrisy of your serial killers in charge. So, so we can try and make it through this list. Promoting constitutional government and civil society at home, maintaining the world's strongest military, fortifying the rules based international order, reevaluating its alliance system, strengthening its alliance system and creating new international organizations to promote democracy and human rights, cooperating with China when possible and constraining Beijing when appropriate, educating Americans about the China challenge, or no, train a new generation of public servants who understand great power competition with China, maybe sort of like the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, might say, you know, people who have pledged their allegiance to the New World Order, those kind of public servants. Number nine, reforming the U.S. education system to help students understand the responsibility of citizenship in a complex information age. And number 10, championing the principles of freedom in word and deed. News of the document's release comes after reports that said the Trump administration is planning a series of hardline actions against China before January 20th to make it politically untenable for future puppet presidents to reverse. State Department to release Kenan-style paper on China. We'll include, of course, all the links on that, James. Here it is. Yes, we will include those links, and I hope people will check them out. I myself am still plowing through this 72-page document. I only saw it 12 hours ago, so I haven't gotten through it all yet. Um, but that list that you cite uh, pretty much gives the the tenor of what they're going for here. And I think the anti-war article is exactly right to put this in the context of that 1947 article from George Kennan, titled The Sources of Soviet Conduct, um, but called the informally called the Long Telegram, published, as you say, in CFR's Foreign Affairs in 47 that laid out the scam of the Cold War and exactly what how that was going to unfold. Um, as Kennan wrote in that article, in the light of the above, it will be clearly seen that the Soviet 
uh, pressure against the free institutions of the Western world is something that can be contained by the adroit and vigilant application of counterforce at a series of constantly shifting geographical and political points corresponding to the shifts and maneuvers of Soviet policy, but which cannot be charmed or talked out of existence. Dot, dot, dot. The real underlying point of this is carte blanche for America to do whatever it wants anywhere in the world for whatever reason. So Vietnam, oh, it's a domino. It could fall. What's this about Golden Triangle and heroin shipments? Oh, that's just a side story. Don't worry too much about that. Uh, that that kind of thing. That, that was the blueprint for the Cold War. And here we have a remarkably similar document updated for the 21st century, which similarly gives carte blanche for uh, what's left of the American imperial uh, machine to continue marching forward in the way that it's going to. Um, I mean, as you say, promoting constitutional government and civil society at home. <laughs> yeah, blah, blah, blah. But maintaining the world's strongest military, fortifying the rules-based international order, order, uh, reevaluating its alliance system, uh, cooperating with China when possible, and constraining Beijing when appropriate. That, I mean, this is what it's about. Newsflash, I've said this over and over and over, and I'm going to continue saying this over and over and over. The cold war template for the 21st century is China-US. That is going to be what they are setting up, unless they go with the, the World War I scenario with German-UK. They could do that for US and China. They could go World War III. But assuming they don't, and they go with the, the Cold War scenario, at any rate, the long-term plan, this isn't about the US and China. That's the, that's the 2D chess version of this that is uh, a little too simplistic for people who understand the way this really works, and the way that China was purposefully built up to be the juggernaut, the economic and geopolitical juggernaut that it is today, or at least is becoming, that has been deliberately put into place in order to have the enemy um, that they can play off and use as this carte blanche to, to go here and do this over there. And ultimately, the long-term game plan, of course, the oligarchs who seek to rule over the globe do not care whether you are American or Chinese. They want to rule over you, and they will adopt those practices, techniques, and technologies that help them to do that the best, which is exactly why every time you see, oh, look at what the Chinese are doing with their social credit system, and they're, they're so evil... But wouldn't it be great if we could do that? That is always the way they present it to you. And that's because long term, the two systems are going to be identical. They're just going to have different puppet puppet figures uh, leading these systems. The long-term game plan is for the entire globe to be under the same system, and they are working towards that through these types of puppeted puppet shows. If people don't understand this, just take a look at some of my previous work on China and the New World Order, Echoes of World War I, those types of reports that I've done over and over trying to explain this, because this really is one of the most important geopolitical concepts for us to understand going into the next decade. So help me out here. The Clinton camp essentially had Operation Pied Piper to build up Trump because they thought he'd be an easy thing to beat. That didn't work out. Carter, Brzezinski, Trilateral Commission, they create Al-Qaeda as an enemy against the Russians. Oh, gosh, then it comes back to bite us in the ass. Kissinger and Rockefeller essentially built up Most Favored Nation, and now, oh my gosh, we can't believe they've turned into this big enemy. Am I oversimplifying things? Uh, well, that's the surface-level reading of it, yes. But of course, again, that was the long-term game plan, was to build this up exactly for those purposes. And it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't just the Kissinger-Rockefeller, it was also Rockefeller-Brzezinski with the Trilateral Commission, and Brzezinski, of course, being in the Carter administration back when uh, relations were normalized uh, with China and all of that. I mean, there's so 
much tapestry involved there, but look at the connecting point. You got Rockefeller with Kissinger, you got Rockefeller with Brzezinski. It doesn't matter left or right. I mean, come on, this is nonsense. And again, with the Biden administration, yes, the tenor and I'm sure the rhetoric of things will change, assuming whatever happens on January 21st, 20th of 2021. You know, I don't know, but assuming it is going to, they're going to install Biden as a Lord Emperor of the American Empire. The tenor and the, chi- the, 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 the rhetoric will change, but the underlying point will not change, as evidenced by this document that we're linking to, this 72-page, here's the blueprint for the Cold War of the 21st century. Well, and I think we can we can actually we can further discuss that on our third and final segment here on episode 429 of New World Next Week. Since this is essentially our Thanksgiving episode, and in years past we've actually done all good news episodes for Thanksgiving. No such luck this year. But let's play a game of what if. So just come with me now. New defense chief puts DOD on notice saying all wars must end. Trump's new Secretary of Defense, Christopher Miller, sent a late Friday memo to the entire Department of Defense workforce signaling what the administration will be up to in Trump's last weeks in office, a likely major U.S. troop reduction, especially from the Middle East. Quote, we are not a people of perpetual war. It is the antithesis of everything for which we stand and for which our ancestors fought. All wars must end, end quote, Miller said in the memo. Trump administration issues troop drawdown order in Afghanistan and Iraq. Donald Trump, this was just talk, but then the order came through, ordered the Pentagram to accelerate a drawdown of U.S. troops in Afghanistan and Iraq to just 2,500 in each nation as the president works to deliver on his longtime pledge to exit from endless wars before he leaves office, maybe in January. Bloomberg reports that acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller announced the decision at the Pentagon In a memorandum issued, Miller said the goal was to bring the current war to an end in a responsible manner that guarantees blah, blah, blah. Miller, a former Green Beret, White House counterterrorism coordinator, said in a memo to all Defense Department employees that ending wars requires compromise and partnership. We met the challenge. We gave it our all. Now it's time to come home. The order would reduce troops from about 4,500 in Iraq and 3,000 in Iraq less than one week before president-elect Joe Biden takes office. So if you missed the first part, Trump fired Mark Esper as Pentagon chief right after the stunning conclusion of America's Next Top President 2020. So the real interesting thing, then you get Donnie Jr. on the tweets tweeting, declassify everything. So antiwar.com writes the question, what is John Brennan so worried about given the uncertainties of Trump's actions as he faces a White House exit, the possible declassification of certain documents has the former CIA director sweating. And I say declassify everything from the secret wars to them aliens. And then today, James, brand new news today. Trump fires Homeland Security cyber chief Christopher Krebs, who said the election is totally secure. And remember, all through 2020, we heard how much Homeland Security was involved in our important elections. So this is essentially the what-if scenario I'm, I'm trying to sort of proffer for people. It's going to be real awkward when the Pepsi Peace Party has to put all those troops back in that Trump pulled out of their wars. Some wars, mo- mostly peaceful, and that's what, I mean, I speculate. 
the false flag that it would take to get the fake left to have to put all those troops back in, I imagine, would be catastrophic and catalyzing. Meanwhile, this would be a fun one, James. Trump could end the war on weed on his way out and make, I think, a hilarious, spiteful move to, again, the progressive Pepsis in the process. Though, of course, nothing in his record actually suggests he would do that, and we'll include links to that. But again, ultimately, he is a business guy, and weed makes a bunch of money. But Congress could actually vote next month, December 2020, to legalize cannabis nationwide and perhaps more importantly, expunge those arrests. So maybe this is all just wishful thinking, I think, on my part, as we probably know the reality is after four years of hibernating, the small government conservative comes out of its cave, passing by the anti-war leftists as they go into hiding for another four years. Truly one of nature's great migrations, James, and one that we've been charting and pointing out for 11 plus years here in Media Monarchy. Every four to eight years, the puppet changes, but the policies never seem to, eh? Yeah, funny how that works. Yeah, I have to laugh in order not to pull my hair out because I don't have any hair left, and that's why. Um, yeah, absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? But um, yeah, I mean, it's nice to imagine what if. I'm personally not holding my breath for that to happen. I mean, for example, let's look back at the JFK files. Remember the JFK files that that President Trump magnanimously ordered released. He was going to open the vaults. Actually, it was a time thing that was going to happen no matter who was in office. And he actually allowed them to hold back certain files anyway. So it was a cover-up upon a cover-up. Um, but now you have, for example, uh, Jacob Hornberger over at F uh, Future Freedom Foundation writing, President Trump released the JFK files. Uh, everyone has their wish list of what he should be doing out, uh, coming out of the door, including our friends in Saudi Arabia and Israel. Of course, uh, security officials worry Israel and Saudi Arabia may see the end of Trump as their last chance to go to war with Iran. And uh, that story coming out of uh, Insider right now, where European security officials are worried that, well, Trump obviously is all gung-ho for war with Iran and has been for many years and very much all along those lines. Israel and Saudi Arabia may see this as, oh, this is our good opportunity. He's a sitting duck and he's heading out the door. We got to get him on board. And we know that his strings are pulled by Netanyahu and others. Oh, look at all these documents from Iran's nuclear program. Look at this impressive selection of, of CDs behind me. Or that kind of nonsense puppetry theatrics that uh, go on to persuade Trump to go along with various agendas. So that could, that could happen too. I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen. And who knows? Maybe he will win the election after all. The selection, I should say. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm certainly, I'm not putting any bets on the table. I'm just saying there's a lot of what-ifs that we could think about here. <laughs> there are a lot of what-ifs. There are a ton of what-ifs. I mean, what better way to make the populace super freak out than dangling the prospect of getting rid of terrible orange man and then go, no, actually, you get him for four more years because that was real sloppy election fraud. We'll find out here as the weeks go forward, James. We're going to be off next week for Thanksgiving, which I think pretty much only gives us a couple more episodes before our big year-end episode. And I'll throw in, James, as we wrap this episode up, just maybe some extra bonus Thanksgiving good news to fly in the face of this weekend tyranny. Forced vaccination law in Denmark abandoned after massive public protests. And that's how we can push back against the scamdemic. James, we have been using my North American post office box for folks to send support 
for you if they don't do the digital places. And of course, we'll include all that information as we always do in the show notes. Of course, we still they, they still let us on Patreon and PayPal and things as well, James. Again, we've been doing New World Next Week for 11 plus years, and I've been doing Media Monarchy now for over 15 years. Each day, I sort of have moments where I'm like, oh my God, I can't imagine. One, I couldn't have imagined trying to still be at the FM station through the Trump years. I don't think I probably would have made it. I probably would have caused problems with some of the co-hosts and things. But even now, this year, thinking about the scamdemic, good googly moogly, I am so very thankful. I've worked to make Media Monarchy my job. And again, I want folks out there to be my boss. James. All right. And as you say, we're not going to be around next week, so I'll see you in two weeks. And uh, yeah, let's let's keep on plowing and see what what eventuates in the what if game. <laughs> and, and let's start a betting market for that kind of thing. <laughs> anyway, we'll talk to you in two weeks. All right, buddy. Thanks. Take care.